Being on the front lines in the fight to educate the next generation is tough. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with important updates, encouragement, and connection. Welcome to the Institute Leaders Lifeline. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Institute Leaders Lifeline. My name is Mike Sinclair, Deputy Superintendent of School Support at the Charter Institute at Erskine. And today I'm joined by a good friend of the Institute, uh, Dr. Michael Gordon Smith. Um, he is the founding principal of a new school right here in the Columbia area. American Leadership Academy, Lexington. So before we get started, first of all, we'd like to thank all of our school leaders and support teams that came into Columbia last week for the leaders meeting. Had about 120 of us together in Columbia and just the excitement in those uh, rooms and just the chance for us to rekindle those relationships, share experiences, learn from one another. That's what really makes the Institute special. When we can get together that many people passionate about the future of education and the future of our children here in the state, that's where the magic happens. So thank you for joining us. So we'll get started with today because I know this is going to go lots of different directions. Got some great stories. So first, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thank you. So I know you were in the South, maybe Georgia for a while and moved away, um, kind of taking maybe a little non-traditional way to your school leadership position. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up in ALA as a leader. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a circuitous route. Um, I, I never actually intended on becoming um, a school leader. That was not my original career path. Um, as an undergrad, I, I planned to go to, to, to law school. I, I grew up abroad. Um, I was born in England, lived in Canada for a while, went to most of my, uh, my younger schooling in Hong Kong and, and Tokyo and graduated from high school in Germany. So, you know, all over the place, right? So, so I, I really was interested in international law, um, and I, I planned on doing that. So um, uh, my, my life took a, a big turn, and I, you'll forgive me if, if, if this is personal, but um, I, I found uh, uh, the love of my life as an undergrad. We got married, but a few years later, she passed away. Um, and so uh, we'd, we'd actually just had our, our, our son, and he was a one-year-old. And so I, I found myself actually about to start law school in New York City at NYU, uh, one of the top international law programs in the country, um, and uh, with a one-year-old, and, and suddenly very, very big sort of life change. Uh, I decided that uh, teaching was a more conducive uh, career for, for a single dad, and, and so I, I went back to school. My alma mater gave me a full-right scholarship for single mothers, which was exciting. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> they didn't have any single mothers who applied, so they gave it to me, a single dad. Um, and I went back, and 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 I... I studied English, um, uh, which was my undergrad, and, and uh, they eventually asked me to stay on and teach full-time um, uh, at, at, at that institution. I decided to go get my PhD. I went to Emory. Um, as I was saying, it's circuitous, right? So I yeah. uh, uh, taught at Emory for a while once I graduated and then uh, ended up uh, taking a position at a private school in, in Arizona. And that's where I really started sort of doing secondary ed and, uh, and, and school leadership. Um, and that was uh, not far from ALA, where I eventually transferred my kids, uh, my kids in um, uh, in Arizona. And then I was asked to to, to jump into leadership there, and, and that's what's happened since then. So very very long, right. circuitous route to right. to school leadership. So I guess along that route, you've really developed a lot of different skills. You've been influenced by different cultures, not just people, and not just parts of the United States, but really international. So you know, you said maybe you didn't really see yourself in school leadership. Did you ever see yourself as a leader, um, maybe in high school and college? Where did that develop? Maybe, maybe who were some of those influences or events? Yeah, you, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever saw myself as 
as a leader. I don't think that was a sort of a conscious thing that happened to me as a kid. Um, I, I did find myself, and I think my, my friends and family would attest to this, uh, I did find myself being a problem solver and getting excited about, hey, here's this issue that we've got to solve and, and kind of jumping in and, and finding a way to, to bring people together to, uh, to, to solve that problem. I don't think I would have consciously realized that that's leadership okay. um, when I was a kid, um, but it was something that I found myself just kind of doing and being asked to do regularly. Um, so I don't know if that was a skill set that I developed over time or if it was innate. I, I, I think I think all of us have some innate leadership skills, but I also think uh, everyone has the potential to to, to be uh, a leader or engage in leadership activities. Um, so so no, it, it wasn't something that was initially kind of on my radar, but something that that I think just kind of developed um, over time. Well. What was the catalyst? What was like like when did you suddenly you start feeling like a leader? Like what 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 was that like? You know, um, I I would probably say that was uh, when I was at uh, Phoenix Country Day School teaching, um, and we had this we had this sort of dilemma in the in the English department where um, we had uh, the demand from from certain families and students to have a more sort of rigorous sort of uh, curriculum. Um, in particular, writing. Our, our families were feeling like uh, our, our students were not getting enough sort of intense writing instruction. Um, and I, I certainly agreed with that. I, I wanted to, uh, I, I felt like that was important having come from being a college professor and knowing what happened yeah. when kids arrived to my freshman English classes and they couldn't write or yeah. didn't write well. Um, and I, I felt there was a need for that. But we also had a lot of teachers who were just like, no, I think it's important for us to sort of just kind of... Um, just, just, just talk about literature and things like that, which is great and important. But I think it's also um, important for us to be able to convey uh, what we think or, or argue or believe about a topic in a way that's uh, legible for a variety of audiences, right? Uh, whether it's speaking or, um, or or on paper or or video, whatever it may be, we have to be able to communicate our ideas. Um, and so I, I found myself serving as a sort of liaison, you know, between these different families and, and the English department and the head of school. Um, and I kind of got tasked with, okay, so let's figure out what our English department is going to do. And that was probably my first taste at like, oh, okay, well, I just sort of stepped into this. Um, I seem to be able to listen to these parties well and figure out where common ground is and, and come to a resolution. Right. You know, that, that kind of parallels a little bit of, of my story. Now, I didn't do all the international and, and, and path that you went on, but Kind of as that early career teacher that was thrust into one of the situa leadership situation of bringing maybe some more veteran staff together. So, um, you know, I like to always warn new leaders, oh, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. So I always, hey, if I can help you and then suddenly you're like, well, this wasn't what I had in mind. But um, I think that's great. That's great because as, as, as a youth, we don't know all the politics sometimes as a younger um, professional. But but I think and there was an important lesson in that, if you don't mind me sharing, I, I, that, that I learned early, which I think has helped me, which is, um, you know, you're you're just you're never going to make everyone 100 percent happy. Um, and and I and I like to try to get as many people on the board on board. But um, my I had a headmaster uh, many years ago who was a good mentor, and he said, uh, you know, when you've achieved a compromise 
when everyone's just a little bit uncomfortable, you know. Um, and 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 I've sort of thought about that a lot as I've, I've had to make decisions. Um, but it did help me transition from um, from being a teacher to a leader. And teachers are leaders in their own right. Uh, but when you're leading a school, it is a bit different mm-hmm. uh, because I, I had to learn to sort of let go of of some of that um, desire to keep everybody happy, which right. I think is. Is, is a very common trait in very good teachers, right? Um, but when you move into a school leadership position, you kind of have to be okay and not let it eat at you that you right. may not be everybody's best friend. Um, and that's a hard transition for a lot of educators to make. Right. Well, that kind of parallels a little bit about what I was talking about in last week's podcast episode where we're talking about hiring staff and that you want to hire people that have different strengths as you, but you can't assume that they see things the same as you. So whether you're a relational or a transactional uh, organization, don't assume that you're hiring people that see it the same way you. So you had to communicate. So absolutely, how, you're starting a school here. Yeah. Um, you're coming from a successful school. So thinking through kind of both of those, how did you and how will you kind of communicate to make sure that different strengths come together with yeah. one vision? So if you got some... Yeah, I, I love that question because I, I think it speaks to uh, some of the important attributes of, of leadership that, 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 I, that, that I carry and, and that I, I value. Um, I, I, I'm very much um, a believer in one's ability to communicate effectively if you're in a leadership position. I think um, central to that is the ability to listen. I think, I think the skill set of listening um, and its relationship to leadership is so frequently overlooked. And it's really not something that we're taught very well as leaders. I think we're, we're expected to be good listeners. And we say, listen to your parents, listen to your kids, listen to your stakeholders, right? But we're never really sort of taught what that looks like and how to do that well. Um, and uh, I, I think it is a skill set that, that does require, require time to develop. But I think the way to do that is to be open to um, bringing in people um, that are comfortable enough with you as a leader to say, hey, I, I'm not sure I agree 100% about this. Here's my opinion on it. Um, and be able to sort of collaborate and come together, but also have people on your team that, uh, to support you that can say, okay, I, I disagree with your decision, but I will commit to it. Okay. You know, um, and, and, and so uh, I, I think that requires a leader to, to create a, a workspace that allows people to, to share their voice in productive and constructive ways, um, and and feel heard. I think I think one of our biggest is- issues with teacher retention. I know I'm going off a little bit here. Is is um, is that they they are not they may be listened to, but they're not heard. And mm-hmm. and hearing someone is not the same as giving them everything that they want. But but it is it it is a as a it is a connection that allows that person to feel valued, um, even if you don't agree with them hundred percent. And that requires a very serious skill set that I think a lot of leaders, um, especially in education, uh, you know, strive very, very hard to develop. But I think it takes time. Right. Well, and we do have a lot of leaders that listen to this. And, and most are school leaders. Some aren't. But I think that is um, the urge of a leader is to solve problems. Yeah. And if somebody brings you a question or anything, you see it as a problem. Everything becomes a problem to be solved. And you know, um, I became a principal at 30. I was 30 years old and a very veteran staff. And um, the, the first uh, issue that came across my desk was the men were upset because the prior principal made them wear ties 
and the women didn't have to dry, dress as formal. And I can remember sitting there like, what, what are you going to do with this? You know, it's not really a big deal, but it might be. And so I told him, give me till Christmas. And if I don't have a reason to wear ties, we'll have that conversation at Christmas. But it was, it was a compromise, like you're yeah. saying. It was, but, but, but it was, it was hearing them. Have, do you have any examples maybe that you could think of? Or how do you handle that, that employee, you know, for our brand new leaders that haven't faced some of this stuff, how do you handle that when someone approaches you with a problem and you don't have the answer right now? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I can think of several instances, uh, you know, I've, I've had from, from all different stakeholders, right? So I, I think parents is probably the easiest. So I'll, I'll give a quick example that I think the, the more challenging is teachers, as, as you've pointed out. Um, you know, uh, sometimes a, a parent will come to you with, with a problem. And, and as you pointed out, you know, we, we, we just want to solve problems. We want to keep people happy and we want to keep our, our school functioning and running right. and uh, get back to the next urgent thing. Um, and I, I, candidly, I, I learned this from my wife. You know, sometimes I don't want you to solve my problems. Sometimes I just want you to hear <laughs> what I have to say. Right. So um, and maybe you've had that experience, too. Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and I found that that actually applies to my profession as well. Like, you know, for, for a lot of parents, you know, the 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 issue that that Timmy's having in geometry class is the lightning rod, you know, that really sort of sets the house on fire. Uh, but um, but they're more concerned about making their car payment that month, which they're not going to open up to you about. But they do want to make sure, you know, their kid and they are part of a space that hears what they have to say. Okay. And so um, I found that if I just listen to, to a parent um, come in and just and, and talk through an issue, sometimes that's all it takes. Um, and they're like, you know what, that's, Thank you. I think this. I think this is resolved. I'm like, you bet. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it does take up your day, and that happens with teachers too. So, right. um, I had a teacher who, um, uh, you know, she, she was she was not being very compliant in a lot of different things. Okay. Um, uh, she was a phenomenal educator, and the kids loved her, and the parents loved her. But when it came to following policies and procedures that were important to the culture of our campus. Um, she was she was struggling a little bit, um, and you know I, I took the initial approach of you know hey you know like let's let's figure this out these are things these are expectations we just need to do this. Um, when I realized that wasn't working, I, I finally just had to have a sit down and be like, hey, help me understand what's what's going on, right? right? Like it, tell me tell me what's what's on your plate and and and, and where we are on these things, and um, and I I, I learned. I learned a lot about her. I learned that as a, as an educator, what she values most is feeling that that her kids care about her class and want to be in her class. Right. She cares about making sure that they're learning. Um, and for her, the, the the policies and procedures that often are important to leadership, right, when it comes to sort of keeping things in order, just weren't that important to her. Um, but we were able to have a conversation. Once I found out that that's what she valued, and I, mm -hmm. I was able to provide her my own sense of her value because of those things and, and told her like, gosh, you, you are phenomenal in all these things, right? I, I wanna make sure you understand how valuable you are to the institution because of these things. Um, she was like, okay, I just need to hear that. Fine, yeah, I'll make sure I don't bring, you know, my cat to work anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, there's all kinds right. of stories uh, from coming through. That reminds me, you know, a lot of times in my head, I think of like it, it, administrative liability you can yeah. have a really good employee, a teacher that knocks it out, and then they don't do 
something and you've got to figure out where's the balance yeah. is the, does the good offset the bad and then how can you work with them but i think that's it you bring them in and you listen and you try to find that value with them you know when you're talking about the parent conflict it reminds me of thinking about the parents are not keeping the good kids at home and sending only the bad kids to school like they're doing the best they can yeah. and like you were talking the car payment the whatever you don't know who's on the other side and you know i um in Greenville County, where I, most of my career was, um, I had the opportunity, and I say it's a great opportunity that I didn't realize how good it was going to be to go into a different part of the county than I had grown up, grown up in. Um, and it was uh, where the textile mills used to be. Um, and I learned so much about just the generational cycle of that community. And I saw it, and it's forever changed my career. And that was, God, that was in 2002. And that's forever changed the way I view things is, you know, for example, one um, one family, the dad had gotten a job and we were talking to them about uh, catching up on some payments and things like that. And, and what we came to realize in a very confidential cl- closed door conversation was the dad said, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep my job and someone else is going to have to help me. Yeah. So I'm going to help these other people with money. And, yeah. and it just made sense. It's, I, I would have never been able to navigate the world they lived in, right. no matter how much education. And they were navigating it perfectly. They understood the put. It didn't make sense to my middle class view, yeah. but it did um, to that gentleman in that community. But we would have never known that. And if not, we might have harbored frustration. Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. But he has to live and take care of his kids. It's so true, and 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 people have so much going on, um, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's if I can share this quick story, I, I just it reminds me what you were sharing. I, I did have this sort of conflict at, at school um, with a, a student who um, was. We had an organization reach out and say, "Hey, we, we'd like to promote our organization at your football game," and um, and as an institution, we, we typically don't promote or, or, or allow that because we feel like we're tacitly. You know, agreeing with with that particular organization over over another, which may be just as valuable. Um, and so, the student who who played football was was really eager to participate in this organization. Um, and and I, I I told him I was like, hey, you're you're free to do what you want, but but just make sure that you're not wearing any of our you know school gear, not representing the school. So the next day, right, um, uh, blasted across the the local newspaper was this kid. In our in his football oh uniform, gosh. you know, uh, you know, uh, with a whole long interview of what he's done for this organization, um, and you can imagine my, you know, the immediate reaction is is is, is anger. You're like, what? you know, what's going on? Like we wow. we we talked about this, you know, um, and it wasn't until it's, so I I called I called the mom and I, and I called the son and we're like hey, we got we got to talk through this, um, and it wasn't until they opened up and shared just how deeply personal this organization was to him because of things that had happened to him in his life with a friend um, that, that he didn't, he didn't have to share that personal element with me. Um, I was, I I explained that we have to work together, you know, like once I heard their side of the story and said, okay, well that, that makes total sense to me. I understand why this was so important to you. Let's make sure moving forward that that we're communicating, you know, more, more effectively so I can, I, I can I can help support you in these things because had I known then I then I probably would have made a different call right. or, or or encouraged our district to make a different or change their policy or make an exception. Yeah. Um, but if I don't have that information, I can't do that. But um, that allowed everything to be repaired. 
you know, um, and uh, it just required an opportunity to communicate. And you hit it, communication. We talk about that a lot, and that's got to be part of the culture. Talk to me about um, talk to me about what what are some of the key elements of culture that you think are important for your organization to be successful. Well, uh, we'll, we'll touch on communication since that's what we're already talking about. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's important as a school leader to make sure, and, and that's this is certainly the case with with, with ALA and, and the culture that we build. We we, we want to make sure. Um, that we're transparent and communicating with our parents about things that are happening at the school, uh, expectations. So, for example, uh, we, we have a you know we, we've got a what some people might label a, a strict or, or pretty fairly defined dress code and dress and grooming mm-hmm. standards. We make sure we communicate that in the expectations so that we can hold people accountable to those things and, and know what parents are are, are getting in, into. Um, I, I, I think in terms of the culture of our school, I, I like to I like to use a term. Um, that uh, I use this term a lot with teachers and with students um, and with parents, and it's it's kind accountability, which is um, accountability. If, if you're familiar with ALA, we have our raised values: respect, accountability, integrity, service, and excellence that are central and core. Say that again for people who want to hear. It. Was that too fast? Yeah, yeah that was fast. Uh, respect, accountability, integrity, service, and excellence, um, and those inform every element of what we do: our hiring, our curriculum. Um, how we interact with with each other as as staff and admin and, and, and faculty and teachers and as students, um, but you know I, I I do feel like we've done ourselves a big disservice with kids um, where when we don't hold them accountable to the things that they've committed to doing right now, you know uh, kids by nature are 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 learning right and and and. Uh, uh, this is one of the exciting things about being a school leader. You you get to help them navigate that 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 challenging and sometimes right. difficult process. And kids make mistakes, and that's great. Um, you know, there's there's always grace that's that's offered in situations like that. But um, but we do want to make sure uh, we hold ourselves accountable to what we've promised for our families, and we also want to make sure our students um, hold themselves accountable to the things that they've committed to doing. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't really sort of compromise on on those things. We. I'm, Again, with communication, I want to know the full story about what happened, you know, like so we can figure out how this happened if we're talking about a situation that requires discipline or a conversation. But um, I always believe in, in in being firm in our accountability, but also being super kind about it. Sometimes we can get defensive when we're holding people accountable, and that's the the worst approach that we can have. Instead, we can we can be empathetic and uh, but we and we can be kind, but we can also make sure we. We're firm about the box that we get to operate in. Right. So um, that helps build our culture. Um, so communication, uh, accountability, uh, kindness is by far the, 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 the which is again connected to the accountability part. But I, I I firmly believe that students cannot learn in a classroom when their teacher doesn't care deeply about them. Right. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, if 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 you're a student, if your student doesn't think you uh, you you care about them, then you you probably don't. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> they're pretty percent right. And so um, I, I think that's I think that's vital for for yeah. kids to be able to learn. Um, uh, teenagers in particular are just not going to put in the time and effort to 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 learn something if they feel that, like the person delivering that information doesn't re- really care deeply about them, right? Um, you know, I, I think I think this is this happens a lot with with our own teenagers, right? Where they they may perceive that we don't love them or care about them because we hold them accountable to things and then you know i've had that situation many times where 
you know, my son will come home and be like, hey, did you know this and this and this? I think that's so cool. I, I think I'm going to do that. And I'm like, I have to hold my tongue because I'm like, yeah, I told you last week that was a good idea. <laughs> but of course, it has to come from someone else because yes. I am no longer credible as your dad. So, um, you know, but but I think when it comes to teachers, kindness and and, and showing love for those those kids is, is so vital. It's, it's an important part of our hiring. So, right. Yeah. You know, let's stay on that thread. And you were talking about your son. Um I think we try to remind ourselves as administrators to always remember what it's like to be a teacher so that we honor that role because it's so easy to get lost up in our world of administrivia. We forget that. But <laughs> yeah. I think it's important as well that we don't forget what it was like when we were in school. I mean, I, that's a whole nother episode is lessons that I learned from reflecting on when I was in school. So have you got any stories, any age appropriate things from when you were younger that maybe play a factor in your decisions today, who you are? You know, I, uh, yeah, I've got a few examples, some good and some bad, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, one thing that I always try to remember is um, I, uh, I I think about how I was as a teenage boy in high school, and I don't, I don't know how I survived. I feel like I don't remember anything. It was all just like a blur. <laughs> right. And so, so, so I always try to be forgiving and show a lot of grace when when teenage boys are like, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't remember even having that conversation because I can, I can definitely remember that happening to yeah. me, um, even though my dad or a parent or a leader was like, do you understand me? This is what needs to happen. You know, tell me that you that you've heard what I've said, and I and I'd say yes, and then I'd forget, forget, you know. <laughs> so um, I try to have some grace on that. Um, I, I remember a few situations where. I had a teacher who really impacted me in a positive way, uh, but more importantly, and this is what I try to remember, I, I, I've had I remember those negative teachers better. Oh, wow! And I and I, I try to remember that when I when I'm interacting with kids because you never know what it is that's really going to not set them off, but but serve as that sort of core memory for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have some from my childhood that are totally random, but they're they're core core memories. And when I bring them up to my parents, they're like, "Oh, I don't even remember that." I was, I was just like like an average Tuesday afternoon, you know. Yeah. But they're they're core memories for me. And, and I I try to make sure that when I am interacting with a kid, that, that those core memories are always going to be positive. I still remember my, you know, my my Spanish teacher telling me um, that I was I was only ever going to be a B or a C student in oh. Spanish, and I, I speak Spanish fluently now. So, um, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I, I, I do have the personality where if someone tells me I can't do something, I try to prove them wrong. There you so go. that's a full disclosure. Um, but um, I, I remember how that made me feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always try to remember that when I think about interactions with kids. So. Yeah, my French teacher gave me a D minus minus to make sure I didn't have to repeat her class. And I thought I was pretty good. So a D went minus to college. minus seems... That was superfluous. That was like the handwritten one. It was almost like a, you didn't pass, but I don't want you again. Move on. And then I went to college, made A's and everything. So yes, I I understand that piece of it. Um, I mean, with a PhD and all, I know you read a lot and you you stay busy in learning. Um, Are there any books, podcasts, speakers? Like, like what feeds you? What's some things you might recommend for us to go and... Check out. Yeah, um, uh, 
So I'll, I'll be brief because, you know, when you ask a, a PhD in English what books they read, <laughs> you're opening up a Pandora's box. Um, one book I love that I think is, is, is valuable for all educational leaders is um, Extraordinary Influence by Tim Irwin. Um, it's a it's it, it's a it's a business book. It's typically been sort of touted as that, um, but it's it it talks about the the value and importance of affirmation with your employees, and not just a, a quick pat on the back, but rather a knowing your employees and what it is that drives them, so that you can provide meaningful affirmation to them, um, so that they continue to to perform and thrive and 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 achieve things. Um, that's been very, very helpful for me as a, as a school leader. As I, as I think about kids, um, I, th- I think I think overt criticism has has lasting effects on the brain, um, as I've just demonstrated with my demonstrated with my Spanish teacher. You know, uh, but I think um, if we can affirm our kids in ways that are meaningful to them, okay. uh, because sometimes. Sometimes, you know, Timmy, could, I don't know why I'm always referring to Timmy. Timmy doesn't care about have, getting a, a, an A in geometry, but he may care about how he's perceived on the football field. But yeah. if you know that about your, your student, you can use that to motivate him to be successful in geometry. Right. Um, and, and that's the sort of affirmation that I think is, is vital. And it's, the same goes for, for your teachers. If you know what drives them, um, you can provide that affirmation that's going to build your influence. And, and there's two ways to get things done as a school leader. Uh, one is you use your power and one is you use your influence. And using your power is temporary and, and, and it's, not, it's not effective. But building influence with the people that you have to lead will always get you farther. That's great. That's good stuff. Now, tell us about ALA. Okay. Yeah, uh, American Leadership Academy Lexington is is, is an exceptional place. Um, I, I'm I'm really excited that we get to build this school uh, here in this area. Uh, we've we've garnered a lot of support and a lot of interest about the school, and um, and enrollment has been through the roof. So that's fantastic, and we've had lots of people reaching out about positions and jobs at the school. Um, as an institution, we we're, we're grounded in our our raised values, as I've pointed out. Uh, we care about providing a full high school experience um, in a moral and wholesome environment. Um, the, the mission of our school is what I'm most passionate about, um, and that's why I work for ALA. And it is uh, it is in support of the family to provide the best educational experience to as many students as possible in a moral and wholesome environment. What that means is uh, we've created an institution in Lexington that uh, that allows kids K through 12 to get an exceptional education, um, do so in a place that reinforces uh, traditional values that, that they're probably learning at home, um, and also allows them to do so in a place where they don't have to worry about the distractions that often happen in most schools, right? That, that can deter them from their own potential critical thinking or deter them from um, the, a safe space for them to learn. So um, as, as an institution, uh, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that kids feel comfortable and loved um, at school. And, and I think every school says that. Um, but our, at ALA, we found a formula that really works for, for making sure that that happens. Yeah. That's great. What um, website, social media, what, yeah. how can people find out more? Yeah, you can go to alaschools.org. Um, uh, you can put a backslash in Lexington to go to, directly to our campus. Um, but alaschools.org will take you exactly where you need to go. We've got campuses in Arizona, Nevada, North and South Carolina. This is our first in South Carolina, and we'll, we'll have many more coming. Um, and you can also go to our, our EMO website, which is charter 
one.org as well to learn more information about our curriculum and, and, and how we operate. That's great. I had a chance uh, last November to go to Arizona and visit several of the ALA campuses and um, just impressive, just really impressive, not just the facilities, but what was all the adults we talked to, the kids at um, Lexington is very fortunate to be the first one. So this will be kind of the hub uh, of all the things that are coming forward. So we're excited as an institute to partner with you guys and opening these schools and getting those started. So great things to come. And we'll have all of those tags in the notes for this uh, episode. So if you want to find out more, you can look in the notes link and click on the link for ALA Lexington uh, and find out more there. Follow them on social media um, and get all the information you want. If you are looking for opportunities for employment, I know you are still trying to fill some jobs. That's uh, starting a new school, 2,000 plus students. So that's a large staff to try to do in this this uh, this, this economic culture. Absolutely. Yeah, but we we we've got lots of interest, and we are we're hiring, and we're interviewing, and and we've found great candidates, so it's coming along. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. And for all of you, thanks for all the things you do for your 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 staff and your students and those in your community. But remember, take care of yourself and take care of those you lead. Be sure to follow the institute on all of our social media platforms: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Erskine Charters. We'll have all of these resources, including this podcast, many stories of our schools, and other things. So check us out. The opinions expressed within the content are solely the authors and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the Charter Institute at Erskine or its affiliates.